Our theme for this year has been adverbs. As we look to not just claim that we have a faith in God, but to, to actually live that faith out on a daily basis. And so every Sunday, we have been approaching Scripture with that kind of, of frame of mind that we are looking at what kinds of things should we be doing? What kind of actions would we be doing if we really believed what we say we believe? And we started with, with looking at what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. That it means functioning. That it means participating and, and being a part of the community. And then we moved on to looking at, at what does it mean to be uh, family members, to take our faith to our homes and to, to engage in spiritual conversation with our, our, our spouses and our children, with our grandchildren and, and, and all of our family. Then we started to look at what does it mean to be a, a neighbor, to live in communities and neighborhoods as followers of Jesus. And I want to take a moment this morning as we are, are finishing up the, the fourth month of the year to acknowledge that there is a, a danger in this kind of, of pursuit that we are, we are going on. The, the danger that I, I think I'm running into is every week we're, we're, we're talking about another action, another thing that we should be doing that we haven't been doing. And the, the danger is that, that what I'm doing is just heaping on a whole bunch of guilt of all the things that you should be doing, but you have not at all be, been doing. And guilt, it's a pretty good short-term motivator. Whenever I was younger and living at home, occasionally my parents would, would, would go out on a date or, or maybe they would have some other uh, function and they would leave uh, myself and uh, and my three sisters at home alone. And often before they left, they would give us some tasks that had to be done before they came home. And inevitably, I would put it off because it was something that I didn't want to do until I would hear the car pull in the driveway. And all of a sudden, I was extremely motivated to do something that I had forgotten that I was supposed to do long ago. It's a pretty good motivator short term. But whenever you just continue to heap on more and more guilt, run the risk of setting a standard up here that feels way too far out of reach. This last week I uh, saw a, a new health... Um, Activity, I guess you would call it, that is uh, starting to, to, to spread into the United States. It is uh, snake massages. They take boa constrictors, and instead of an actual person massaging you, they take these boa constrictors and lay them on top of you and allow them to... which. They completely miss the point that, that the boa constrictor constricts in order to kill. 
and in order to to eat, right? That, that's what the, the, the purpose is. And, and as I see that and listen to somebody describe all of the health benefits and how wonderful it feels, I sit there and say to myself, you can tell me it's healthy all day long, but there's no way I'm doing that. That is not for me. And I think that, that, that that's kind of what can happen whenever we're, we're talking about all of these things that we should be doing is sometimes it feels so unattainable. It sounds so counterintuitive to who we are as people right now that, that we may say, okay, that, that's okay for, for you, Jeff. You're, you're the professional Christian. You can do that, but that is not for me. And I want to remind you of why we are engaging in the study of the book of Acts. I know that, that some of our Bibles on the first page of the book of Acts, some of our Bibles will add a subtitle to the, the page. And it will say that this is the Acts of the Apostles. But that is a misnomer. That is not a part of the, the actual Scripture. Remember how this book begins. It begins with Luke saying that he is writing to a man named Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That Jesus began to do these things. They aren't finished yet. Jesus is still going to continue working out these activities. The significance of the book of Acts for us is not that, that this is a list of things that we should be doing, but this is a description of what God is doing in the world. What I want you to see more than anything else, if you miss everything else about this study, what I want you to catch is this, that God is acting in this world. And whenever we see that, we begin to engage in life, we begin to interact with the world around us differently. This morning, I want to use the metaphor of a door. An open door is often, it has long been, been used as a symbol of a new beginning. An open door shows that there is a, a way out and it can, can also provide a view of what lies ahead of us. An open door is filled with hope and possibilities. A closed door, on the other hand, or a locked door, can represent a dead end. It can create the feeling that there is no way out. A door can represent opportunity or imprisonment. And there are are people that they see open doors everywhere. Open door thinking are people that they see opportunity and possibility around every corner. 
And closed-door thinkers, they see danger and have an overwhelming desire to be safe. Specifically, whenever we're talking about a door, what we are talking about is whenever God presents an opportunity for us and invites us to work with and for Him. Listen to these words from Revelation as Jesus speaks to a church in the first century. He says, I see what you've done. Now see what I've done. I've opened a door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength, and I know that. The possibilities that lay ahead of anyone that is following Christ are not dependent upon your own personality, your own strength. It is the, the reality that Jesus has gone ahead, He's already began to do these things for us, and He has opened the doors. He has presented opportunities in front of us. And our actions are about us having the faith to walk through the door in obedience. Now let's continue following the story of God as He works through the first followers of Jesus in Acts to discover together this morning the mindset of these early followers that enabled them to walk through Doors that God opens. Acts chapter 5, verse 16 is where I want to pick up our reading this morning. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. But then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people all about this new life. Now, the, the Scriptures that, that Trent read for us this morning, speaking about how God was working to the point that people would just try and get into the shadow of Peter. Because God was working that actively that if they just got into the shadow, that, that they could, could receive some kind of touch from God. But now... The high priests and the Sadducees, they, they are filled with jealousy. Because of the crowds that are coming to the apostles, and, and so they want to put an end to what is taking place here. Because some people that have been coming to them for, for a, a connection with God, for some people that have been coming to the high priest in order to, to receive a blessing from God, are now leaving and they're going to the apostles. They arrest 
the apostles. That would appear to be a door that is slamming shut. And we will continue to see this as we walk through the remainder of the book of Acts, that there is trouble everywhere that the gospel message goes. Whenever Paul comes along and he goes about traveling from city to city, taking the good news of Jesus Christ, he goes into a city and very quickly people begin to turn against him. And he faces persecution, he faces bodily harm at every single turn. And it appears like the doors are closing more and more, but God wants them to see at this very early stage that looks can be deceiving. The Sadducees, those members of this ruling council, they were the the most conservative group in in Jesus' day. This is a group of people that they did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in a a lot of of mystical and... um, they, they didn't believe in a lot of things that they couldn't, they couldn't prove scientifically. They did not believe in angels. And here you have the irony that God uses something that this group does not believe in in order to deliver the apostles out of their grasp. The angel opens the door and gives a message for them to go and stand in the temple courts and tell people about this new life. The command is to go. And what I want you to see, first of all, about people who who have this open-door mindset, one of the policies that they have begun to adopt an open-door policy that they have is that they understand that they have been blessed to bless. The angel opens the door of this jail not to bring about their comfort, but so that they could go into the city. God opens doors often, but rarely does God open a door for you alone. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 that God comforts us in all our troubles. That, is, that should be an encouragement to us. That should be a comfort to us that we have a God that in all kinds of circumstances, in all kinds of troubles, He comforts us. But Paul goes on and says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. They were delivered not into comfort, but so that they could be commissioned. The story of long ago of a young boy that that walked into a a soda shop and sat down at, uh, up at the, the counter. He asked the waitress whenever she came by how much 
an ice cream sundae was. She told him that it was 50 cents. He looks into the palm of his hand and he says, well, how much is a plain ice cream? The waitress was very frustrated. She knew that this wasn't going to be uh, much money for her. And so she just kind of rolls her eyes and says that a plain ice cream is 35 cents. He says, I'll take a plain ice cream. And she brings it out. After a few moments, she returns and the, the ice cream bowl has been completely emptied. And he lays down a quarter and two nickels for her to take and, and pay for the ice cream. As she walks away, he lays down another 15 cents. She returns to clean up the mess and sees that he has left her a tip. That he had the money for the Sunday all along, but it wouldn't have been enough to provide something for her as well. I don't know the background of that young boy, but he had to have been raised by somebody who instilled in him that the blessings he was given were not for him to enjoy simply for himself. Genesis 12, verse 3. God calls Abraham and says, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. All families on earth will be blessed through you. The apostles' door was open so that they would hold the door open for others to enter into the kingdom of God. And that meant risking drawing the attention of the same people that just put them in jail. And they have to be running over in their mind, God, can't we go somewhere else? Do we have to go back into the temple courts? That's where the high priest functions. That's where where he goes whenever he goes to work. And so whenever they go to the temple courts, they are going right back into the presence of the high priests and the Sadducees that have just arrested them. That brings us to the second open door policy that open door thinkers they are unhindered by uncertainty the angel does not guarantee their safety the angel does not guarantee that people are going to be more receptive to the message this time than they were the previous time. The only instruction that they are given is go. A consistent command throughout Scripture, and some have counted that it is 365 times that God says not to fear. But that instruction is not given because there is no danger. Instead, the instruction is given Because God 
will be with you. One example from Isaiah, he says, do not fear. God says to to Isaiah, do not fear, for I am with you. John Kavanaugh, the renowned ethicist, went to spend some time with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. After a period of time there, Mother Teresa looks at, at him and says, what can I do for you? Kavanaugh did not hesitate and said, the reason that I have come, for you, come to you is because I am seeking clarity from God. So I ask that you would please pray that God would provide clearly what the next step for me should be. Mother Teresa very wisely looked at him and said, I will not pray that you have clarity because clarity is the last idol that you are clinging to. That what you are doing is you are, are telling yourself that, that if God will show me clearly what I will do or what I should do, then I will obey. But instead, what it means to follow Christ is that you obey and then you have clarity. She said, I have never had clarity. So instead, what I will pray is that you trust God more. The only thing that the apostles are certain of is that God is on the other side of the open door. And it becomes clear that they need God. Look with me in verse 29. After they go to the temple courts first thing in the morning, of course the high priest and the Sanhedrin, they see the crowds again, and they send for the apostles. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles being questioned reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging Him on a cross. God exalted Him to His own right hand as Prince and Savior that He might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Twice in this response, they speak about the need to obey or to follow God. That their responsibility is not to, to understand but simply to recognize that God has opened a door and that God will be there when they walk through that door. Obviously, these are dangerous words that have severe consequences. The high priest is done with threats. This is the, about the third time that he has had this group before them and he's threatened and threatened and they still will not stop talking about Jesus. And so he takes it to the next step. He physically reprimands them. He flogs them. 
they bear scars because of their commitment to walk through doors that God has opened. And the strange thing, the, the, the most bizarre thing, is the way that the apostles respond. You would think that they would, they would after suffering physically, that they would say, okay God, this is enough, we're done. This is God saying, saying that, that, that we shouldn't talk publicly anymore. That what we need to do is we just need to go into our private houses and, and we won't talk about Jesus to our neighbors anymore. We won't go about trying to, to, to heal people. We are just going to keep this message to ourselves. But instead, look at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name and day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that jesus is the messiah they rejoice because they have been beaten up because they consider themselves worthy of suffering for the name. And what you see about their mindset is that they, their primary concern, they, uh, these open-door thinkers, they are primarily concerned about cruciformity. Cruciform is... An object that is shaped like a cross. And cruciformity is the idea that to follow Jesus means that we are being shaped into His image. I read this last week of watermelons that have become a delicacy in Japan that are shaped in a square. They're not round. And the way that they are, are um, grown is that they are put into a, a clear cube that is, is strong enough to withhold that. And the watermelon will then grow into the shape of the container that it is held in. It was originally designed and intended to be uh, easier to store in a refrigerator. It's easier to cut something that has a flat surface than, than something that is round. And I share that with you to say that, that you are formed in what you are surrounded by. You are formed into the container in which you place yourself into. The primary concern of the apostles is not the outcome. It's not a positive outcome, but it is Christ as the outcome. And so whenever they see that they are, are suffering in similar ways to Christ, then they see that they are becoming more like Christ. Galatians 
4, verse 19, says that Paul is in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Whatever endeavor you set out to take upon yourself, you have to have an end goal. For us, the end goal is that that we become shaped, formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is only possible if you put yourself in Christ. This morning, I want to invite you to put yourself in to Christ. To not become so discouraged by what you may see taking place in this world, but to to open your eyes to see God's movement in the world. To have the faith and obedience to walk and take another step. Whatever step that is for you, it's not going to be the same step for you as it is for me or as it is for the person sitting next to you. Because we are all at different points in our journey. And the point isn't that you become looking just like me and that you act just like me. It is that you, tomorrow, look a little bit more like Christ than you did today. Dusty is picked a song for us to sing together. And if there's a way that we can assist you in becoming more like Christ, then we invite you to come. Some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be here at the front as we stand and worship together.